Now let's turn to the passage before us, found in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at one verse, which is verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, where we read in this letter, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And Father, I pray that your word would be such an encouragement to each one of us. And that today we would see what a privilege it is for us to meet with the God of the universe. We can't have an audience with the prime minister. Most of us can't have an audience with the president or any other leader or even the mayor for that matter. But we can have an audience with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords. What a privilege, what an honor that you would uh, welcome us to come into your presence with our petitions, with our requests, but above all with thanksgiving and with confession of sins. You welcome us, Lord, for you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. And we dare not come hum proudly, but only humbly in your presence. Open our minds as we go through this passage, I pray. Thank you for the privilege of joining with God's people and to know that we are receiving your bread, your manna for our soul. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier, we're dedicating today to prayer. When Rosa first came to us with this initiative, it resonated with us. Um, what a great initiative. What a great idea. Dedicating this day to pray for our nation, for the church, for the leaders, uh, and, and just to pray for our country. This will be a day of confession. We're going to confess our sins together. We're going to repent. We're going to ask for God's mercy. And we will unite as one in seeking God's face for those who are still in darkness and don't know him. What a privilege. And like I said earlier, if you haven't registered, please do register. I encourage you to do so immediately after the gathering. If you don't want to register, just join at whichever time slot and let's meet for prayer. You can even join two time slots, three time slots. You can stay the whole afternoon in prayer if you wish. We are at a very watershed moment in history. Uh, while we are all eager for things to go back to normalcy, we want more than normalcy. God wants more than normalcy. So what are we praying for? We are praying that God's will be done on earth, that God's will be done in the church, in each one of us. COVID-19 did not hit this globe because God let a virus randomly wreak havoc in the world. It came by divine appointment. It struck to bring the church to her knees. It hit us so that we can all examine our hearts and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. For over one year, the world has been put on hold. God hit the pause button. No one else did. This is not the work of Satan. This is not the work of conspirators. Satan and men have, do not have this kind of power. They may play a part, but a very small part. God is in control. No one else. Here's what we read in scriptures when calamities strike our globe. Verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 45. So that people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. 
I am the Lord. There is no one else. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. God gives us sunshine and the rain. But he also gives us painful events, such as the one we are experiencing right now. Thankfully, the good things in life outweigh the bad events. Think about it. Look at this beautiful sunny day. Spring is just around the corner. And we have so many blessings and benefits. But what's mostly on people's mind is, of course, the fact that COVID-19, the vaccines, are they safe? What will happen if I get the wrong vaccine? Will I have something in my body that will cause a blood clot? And all these fears. But all these fears are not there for um, to, to trouble the child of God. The child of God has confidence. We're grateful for the good things in life. And we're also aware that the COVID-19 is sent by God. Now, God does not give us good things because we deserve them. We don't. He, we, all of the blessings of the Lord are given because he is a good God. He is a God of loving kindness. That's the wonderful thing about our God. But when bad things happen, it's so that uh, we, we reflect, so that we examine ourselves. It is sheer immaturity and a poor understanding of scripture to conclude that Satan is behind COVID-19. There have been preachers who have cursed and rebuked COVID-19, and they've done it with a lot of passion. They've done it by saying that we are covered by the blood of Jesus, and yet the same people that are covered end up dying. The very people who rebuke it are still rebuking. Some are fasting. They're still fasting. It's just sheer nonsense to do all that. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that we can rebuke That's this kind of thing. There's nothing at all. Those who are doing this are making a mockery of the gospel. They're either ignorant of what scripture says, or worse yet, they are false prophets and false teachers. The truth is, is that God sends both good things and disasters. This truth is repeated in scripture over and over. I'm going to give you another passage found in Lamentations. Lamentations is a very unique book written by Jeremiah. It's called Lamentations because he is crying for the people of Judah. You see, the vast majority of Israel had already amalgamated with other nations. They were completely uh, pagan-like, worshiping idols and disobeying God and doing whatever the other pagan nations were doing. But one tribe stuck to uh, the rituals, the liturgy, and continued praying, even though they had a divided heart, the tribe of Judah. But Judah felt that God would protect Judah and Jerusalem in particular because of the temple. And they felt that they would never end up in captivity. They would never, uh, foreign nations would never invade Judah, Judah and Jerusalem. That's out of the question. Why? Because the temple is here. And they saw the temple as an amulet. You've seen people that carry crosses in their cars or crosses around their necks and thinking that they're protected because of that. God told his people, the temple is no amulet. Just like I destroyed the first tabernacle in Shiloh, I will destroy the second temple built by Solomon. And he did. Eventually it was destroyed by the Babylonians. They had superstition, 
as a people, but they had no faith in God. And they were wrong in believing that God was not going to let disaster come in the land just because they had a temple. And soon they realized that their nation was in danger. The Babylonians had besieged the city of Jerusalem and the temple had been ransacked a few times. And they realized that, hey, the temple is not an amulet. It can't protect us. So now they start praying, but they're ingenuous. They're, they're, they're not sincere in their repentance. They're not humbling themselves before God as a nation. And then furthermore, they were blaming Jeremiah, thinking that Jeremiah's words were jinxing them, were bringing bad luck on the nation. So they put Jeremiah in prison. They threw him in a pit. They did so many things to Jeremiah, thinking that it was his fault because the Babylonians were successful in breaching Judah and eventually breaching Jerusalem, the city. So when they realized that they nothing was helping, they turned to God in prayer, but they were not sincere. They were not repentant. And so this is what we read in Jeremiah, or rather Lamentations from Jeremiah, chapter 3, verses 37 to 44. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? In other words, it's not because Jeremiah has spoken that this is coming to pass. I'm the one, the Lord is saying. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both adversity and good proceed? Of what can any living mortal or any man complain in view of his sins? In other words, you shouldn't be complaining. I'm being merciful with you. I've been merciful all this time. You are stubborn and wayward, and I'm letting the Babylonians come so that you could repent. You're not repenting. Nothing is going to bring you to repentance. You shouldn't be complaining. And then Jeremiah speaks on behalf of God's people. He says to them, let's examine and search out our ways, and let's return to the Lord. We raise our heart and hands toward God in heaven. We have done wrong and rebelled. You have not pardoned, O Lord. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not spared. You have veiled yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. The people of Judah had defected so far away from God. They were now idolaters. They were worshiping the sun, the moon. They were disobeying. They were, their hands were full, were full of blood. There was, no, there was no justice in the land. And that's why Jeremiah says, we've rebelled. We've acted wickedly. And this is why you are punishing us. Judah was beginning to experience calamities like the rest of Israel. And God is saying, I'm behind it all. Yes, he gives the sunshine. He gives also punishment. He chastises. Both come from him. When he blesses us, it is not because we are behaving rightly, but it is because he is good. God is a God of loving kindness. And when he chastises us, is so that we could stop dead in our tracks. We're going waywardly. We are rebelling, and we need to humble ourselves. The sorrow, as well as the good, come equally from the hand of God. Thankfully, he never gives us as much as our sins deserve. Psalm 103 says that very clearly. If he were to give us as much as our sins deserve, we would be totally annihilated. We would be destroyed. But God is merciful, and he gives us punishment in dosage. And doses, not fully as we deserve. It's just like thunder. Thunder comes once in a while. Sun and, and, and the beautiful days are regular, but thunder is seldom. And so when God punishes, it's just a reminder, repent, humble yourself, seek my face. There's only one man who, who received everything we deserve, everything. 
all the punishment we deserve was absorbed by one man, Jesus Christ. The pure and sinless son of God who became sin. It's amazing. He was smeared, covered, burdened with our sins, our disobedience, our hatred, our anger, our lust, our envy, our pride were placed on him. I can't understand that. It is beyond comprehension. We are the ones worthy of punishment. We deserve to be banished from the presence of God. And yet, like Mephibosheth, God welcomes us at his table and places his son on the cross. Now, we still carry vestige of our brokenness. We're still lame. There's still parts of us that are, are, are there to remind us that we are wretched, but that we are forgiven. I asked one person this week, why are you going to heaven? And she said, because I'm a good person. I said, if you're counting on that, then you're not going. Only those who acknowledge that they are sinners and repent make it to heaven. They don't make it on their goodness. They make it on God's goodness, on Christ's goodness fully. That's what it means that Christ became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. We as a country and the entire world have experienced in this past year the hand of God. The good news is that during this period, many have repented. Many have humbled themselves. Some refuse to do so. We praise God for those who repented. I am one of them. I've humbled myself over and over. And I know that as a church, we have as well. But there are some who refuse to humble themselves. Some who refuse to repent. May God have mercy on them. May God open their eyes. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, reveals to us the cure for prayerlessness. Maybe you don't love to pray. You don't love to join God's people in prayer. You have no intention of coming this afternoon and praying. You're busy with other things. You feel that other things demand your attention. But praying with God's people, it's okay, I'm coming to the gathering, that's enough. But God's people who are healthy, spiritually healthy, enjoy prayer. They delight in it. They delight in it as much as a soccer fan delights in soccer. As much as someone who loves sweets delights in ice cream. As much as someone who loves water delights in swimming. We don't pray because we have to pray. We pray because we want to pray. We seek God because we delight to commune with him. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 shows us why it happens that God's people lose the desire to pray. What are the three ingredients, the three things that we need to be, be attentive to when we don't want to pray, when we don't want to spend time with him, when we don't desire to seek his face with God's people as well? Well, the verse says, the end of all things is near. Let's look at that first. Right here, we see that we need to have a deep awareness of the brevity of life. God's word constantly reminds us that life is a vapor, that we are a mere shadow passing through this world. There is this foolish notion that the universe has been there millions and millions and millions of years and it will continue for millions and millions of years more. And that humanity will just continue. It's just this cycle. Only as of recent, scientists have realized that the universe is expanding and will have to one day just stop. It can't continue expanding and expanding. But this has just been a recent development. The prophet Isaiah one day was given a clear command 
and it addresses this very issue. This is what he was, he was told. We read in Isaiah 40, verse 6. A voice says, call out. And then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. The people are indeed grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Twice, the grass withers, the flower fades. Isaiah is told to cry this out. Now, at first glance, it doesn't mean, mean make much sense. Why is he crying this out? He's saying that man is here for a very, a very brief time. His glory, all his achievements, all that he's done, all that you've accomplished in your life, all right? It's a flower. The flower dies first, and then the grass is mowed down or it withers. Um, it just points to the brevity of life. Whether you look at Alexander the Great or Napoleon or other great men of the past, Caesar, men who are known in history as men who accomplished much, all their accomplishments are but a mere flower. And their life lasted as long as a blade of grass. Brevity, it's an undeniable truth. I spoke last Wednesday on, it doesn't matter how we die. It doesn't matter when we die. What matters is what happens after we die. The only way you can have enduring praise and enduring worth is if you wholeheartedly embrace the enduring word of God. That's what it says. The word of our God stands forever. When you embrace it, it infuses permanency into your life and into your work. Otherwise, your works are nothing. Your life is written in the dust. Do you want to matter for eternity? Love God's word. Do you want to matter today? Ignore God's word. Simple as that. If you matter tomorrow, it is because of God's word. If you matter only today, it is because you ignore God's word. Peter is saying to the Christians of his day who were being severely persecuted, don't lose heart. Everything in this world, even the pain, the persecution you're enduring, the mistreatment, the hatred, it's going to end. All of man's pomp, along with his uh, boasting, it's going to end. All of it, no matter who we are in this world, we are blades of grass. Our accomplishments are no more than a flower. These were comforting words for the early Christians who were severely persecuted, as I mentioned. Peter is reminding them that their vicious attacks towards the church was working a glorious weight of praise for them, while at the same time, the ungodly were storing wrath upon wrath for themselves. Now think about it. Rome was a powerful empire, and they were against the church. The unbelieving Jews had connections, and they were against the church. The Gentile worshipers, the worshipers of Zeus and Aphrodite and Diana and so forth, they had connections. They had their temples. The Christians had nothing. And they, they too, ridiculed 
and belittled the church and mistreated Christians. Where are they today? Where are, where's the goddess Diana? Where's Caesar? Where's Rome? Where are the, the Jews with all their, their temple and their glory and their power? Where are they against the church? The church, that little seed that was nothing, triumphed and it still is around today because of Christ. No matter what you do against the Christians, Christians cannot be outdone because not because we're strong, because he's strong. So what should the godly do while we look around us and see COVID-19 as it, as it keeps the world in its grip? What should the Christians do as we see technological, bewildering technological advances? We're thinking of having a, a community on Mars, right? We're, we're thinking of fusing the mind with AI, artificial intelligence, and these things are staggering. And we may look at the world with all its, 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 its advances in technology and medicine, and we may be in awe. No, believer, we're not impressed with this world. All the advancements are but a flower. Man is but a blade, and that's it. So what do we do? We're not afraid while we look face straight into COVID-19 and anything else that may come our way. God is our strength. His word is our portion. We have eternity been promised to us that is waiting for us. We don't hide behind our steeples and our churches. We don't hide in our homes. No, we serve. We are the light. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14. You, you the church, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We can't hide. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must, it's not an option, must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The world needs to see us joyful when everyone else is depressed. The world needs to see the church singing when everyone else is complaining. The world needs to see the church doing acts of kindness when everyone is trying to take care of their own. The world needs to see the church being generous and when everyone else is holding on to their money, thinking that it's going to lose value and maybe they're going to lose a job. You see, the world and the church have a different paradigm because we have the word of God that strengthens us and encourages us. Our stay on earth is very brief. And thankfully, the pain that is on this earth is also very brief, as well as the good things that are on this earth. And while evil spreads and apostasy is visible, that many Christians are defecting from the faith, God upholds his creation with his loving kindness and as Christians, we are being alerted to the fact that his return is soon and that we are to be faithfully serving him. We're not here waiting for the rapture and just doing nothing waiting. No, we need to be eagerly serving, eagerly sharing and with others. And by so doing, we bring glory to God. While we look around at the sorrow that is ever so real, when we hear of nurses leaving their uh, career, because they can't take it anymore. And some of them even thinking of suicide. And when we think of first responders who just give up, they're just tired. When we think of hospitals that are being stretched thin and, and the government having this heavy load, oh, how we need to pray for them. That God would just infuse them with hope, 
hope in the word, and that they would humble themselves, all of us humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, remembering that we are but blades of grass and everything we do apart from grace is nothing but a flower. God's light doesn't need to be hidden. It doesn't need protection. We need to be unleashed in this world with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not hide the message. Let's not bury it. The end is near. And with this awareness in our lives, we're going to be praying with joy and with faith. Secondly, we need to have a deep understanding of what really matters. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment. Sound judgment. In and of ourselves, we do not have clear thinking. That's what sound judgment means. Clear thinking. We don't. If it were not for God's grace, we would be making wrong calls every single moment of our lives in matters of crucial importance, especially. Let me show you how true this is with one of Jesus' parables. Here we see a man approaching Jesus and he complains. He complains because his brother is not giving him his rightful due of the inheritance. We look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Now someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said, Jesus said to him, you there, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over the two of you? But he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one is affluent does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich in relation to God. In this parable, Jesus shows how mainstream thinking runs contrary to God's view. Many Christians think like the man in this parable. If you look at this man, you'll say, what did he do wrong? That was great pro pro progressive thinking. It was forward thinking. So here we have a perfect example of someone who lacked sound judgment. When sound judgment is lacking, we don't pray. We don't even know how to pray. Prayer is the last thing on our minds. And when we do, it's because we feel some pain and there's some trouble in our, that's looming around us and we, we're afraid, but we're not enjoying God. In this story, we see three major mistakes this man made that reveal his lack of sound judgment. I want, them, I want you to write them down. First, he exchanged God with himself. Verse 17, we see him speaking to himself. Now, I do a lot of speaking to myself. I think as a child, I used to speak to myself all the time. I used to daydream constantly and think and, and talk to myself. 
But this man spoke to himself in a very arrogant way. That's the difference. What he, what he did was um, he saw himself as God and credited himself for the success of his crops. He didn't thank God for the rain. He didn't thank God for the sun. He didn't thank God for the growth. The life principle in a seed is given by God. If a plant grows, it's because God allows it to grow. If it dies, it's because God says, die. Instead, he never acknowledges God. So basically, he exchanges God with himself. This man does not acknowledge the creator as the benefactor. Over and over, he says, I will, I will, I will. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain. I will say to myself. Notice that. Arrogance. Complete arrogance. Secondly, he exchanges eternity for time. In verse 19, I will say to myself, you have many goods stored for many years to come. Now, how would he know that he has many years to come? We don't have the next breath if God doesn't allow it. How do I know I have many years to come? We take life insurance because we think we have many years to come. Our, our speech because we think we have many years to come. We have nothing guaranteed except the very breath we're breathing now, which is given to us again as a loving kindness act from God. So here we see the symptom that is so clearly a sign of lack of sound judgment. This man genuinely believed that earth was his paradise, that he was here for the longest of days. And he was just going to continue enjoying his prophet. But scriptures are clear. Man is like grass. Man is like grass. Very short time. And lastly, he exchanged the riches of heaven with the riches of earth. You have many goods. The goods of this earth, when compared with the riches of heaven, are paltry. They're not even worth being com comparing to the riches of heaven. You can take the richest man on this earth. He is a pauper in the eyes of God. He's nothing. And this is what we need to remember. But when we have our eyes focused on the riches of earth, we get distracted from the eternal riches. The Bible solemnly warns us to be careful in this way. That's why he says, you have many goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, enjoy. How foolish when we talk this way. Jesus tells us to make mammon our friend. We can't have two gods in our life, God and mammon. When mammon is there in our life, we're going to lose desire for prayer. We need to be very careful when it comes to whatever God gives us as far as material blessings. How do we make mammon, how do we make money our friend? Jesus tells us elsewhere to make sure that we give as much as we can. Charles Wesley, or John Wesley rather, would say these words, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's good advice. I will add two more to the, those, uh, those, those words. I will say, A, spend the least you can. And lastly, stay away from debt. Have no debt. And in this way, we can give as much as we can. The man at the beginning of this passage who comes to Jesus had a serious issue. And he saw in Jesus someone who was just, someone that intervenes for those who have no voice. And so he felt, I have been, be I've been cheated. I've been defrauded of my share of the inheritance. 
My brother doesn't want to listen to me. I have no one who will listen to me. Maybe, maybe he was someone who had no clout. He didn't want to take matters into his own hands by breaking his legs. So what does he do? He turns to Jesus and he asks Jesus for help. He says, will you please tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, to give me my share? Was he being cheated? Of course he was. Did he have a right to this inheritance? Of course he did. So then why didn't Jesus intervene? Why didn't Jesus say, you're right, I will speak to your brother? Because Jesus looks at a far deeper problem. When we look at people and see the wrong in their life, that's a speck. But what happens is often when we look at the speck in someone's, in someone's eye, we don't notice the plank that is in ours. This man had a big plank. What was the big plank in his eye that he wasn't spotting, that he wasn't noticing? It was greed. That's why Jesus points to greed. And he tells him, especially to be very careful against greed. Greed can come and just chew away at your faith. He was hoping for justice, but Jesus shocks him by refusing to intervene as the man had hoped for. Not because he didn't have the right to the inheritance, but because Jesus saw a bigger problem. And in his mercy, the Lord shows him that greed was robbing him of sound judgment. You see, when greed is there, you want more. And then, because greed is a sibling to envy, you envy those who have more than you. And because envy and greed are connected and um, siblings of anger, you're angry. How could you pray when you're angry? How could you pray when there's envy? How could you pray when there's greed? You can't. And so many Christians are affected by these very emotions. There was a time in my life that I had the same thing. You see, you don't repent once. You repent constantly. If you don't repent constantly, if you don't humble yourself constantly before the mighty hand of God, greed comes in. And it comes in very, very clandestinely. Greed, envy, anger, pride, they take over. And you think yourself to be okay when in actuality, like this man in the story, we're not okay. May God open our eyes to see what we need to see. That's when we have sound judgment. If we are being governed by greed, we can't pray. If we're being controlled by it, we can't pray. If we are anxious about the future, we can't pray. If we're being impressed by the things around us, we can't pray. That's what Peter is saying. We can't pray. May the Lord have mercy upon us. Ask him to deliver you from greed, to deliver you from the anger that's keeping you from prayer, to deliver you from the envy and to give you sound judgment. So first, a deep awareness of the brevity of life. And then secondly, also, deep awareness of, or deep understanding rather of uh, sound judgment of things that really matter. And third, we have here a deep gratitude for whatever blessings we are given. The end of this verse says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and of sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. This is what is needed for prayer. Be of sober spirit. So what is sober spirit? What does that mean? I mean, I know what sobriety is. It means don't drink. Right? We're told, don't drink and drive. Be sober and arrive safe. But what does it mean to be of sober spirit? You see, this is totally different. We've looked at the brevity of life. Don't be impressed with um, all that our culture uh, shows as valuable and as powerful. Don't be afraid 
of what's happening that is bad around us. The end is near. Let's be the light during this time. We've looked at the importance of sound judgment. When it's absent, sound judgment is so important. When it's absent, greed creeps in, creeps in, envy, anger, pride. We become like Lot who uh, looks at the plains of Sodom and says, I want to go there because that's a better place to go to instead of asking God for wisdom. Your life will resemble the rich fool when you lack uh, sound judgment and you will not pray. You will have no desire to pray, in fact. So at this point, you may be saying, are we supposed to be monks? Are, are we supposed to, all these things that God gives us here, these material blessings, what are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to just say, Lord, I'm just living for you and not enjoy them at all? I've known Christians that have done that. They've deprived themselves of all the blessings that God has given them because they see them as sinful. So they've taken away uh, all, all kinds of pleasure just because they see them as sinful. That's not what the scripture is saying. We need to be sober in spirit. Um, a Christian cannot pray when his heart is divided. We saw that. A Christian cannot pray when he's fearful, right? When he's afraid of what's going on. A Christian cannot pray when he is impressed with the world. Um, but there's one more thing that Peter is saying right here. He's talking about the importance of being temperate. To be sober in spirit is simply another word, way of saying temperance. Remember when Paul said that if we're not temperate, he says this to King Agrippa, if we're not temperate, we will not have um, the right perspective of life. We're going to just live for the pleasures of life. We live in a country where there's abundance of material blessings compared to so many other countries in the world. Where do all these benefits come from? You know, we have electricity, we have running water, we have functioning toilets, we have access to schools and a whole bunch of other a great transportation transportation systems, car streets that we can drive on. Yes, there are potholes, but they're wonderful compared to so many other countries in the world. We are blessed. We have so many blessings. We have health. We have health care. We have and on and on we can go with the blessings, the material blessings. So where do all these blessings come from? Well, James tells us where they come from. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift comes from above. It can't come from anyone else, because in him we live and move and have our being. So how are we to respond with all the blessings, the material blessings that we've received from the hand of God? We need to be of sober spirit. If we're not, we will not be able to pray. That means we need to be temperate. So what does that mean, to be temperate? It simply means enjoy everything that God has given you without letting those things be your idol and without letting those things be your delight. So you can enjoy a glass of wine, but don't let wine master you. You can enjoy sports, if you that's your thing, but you don't let mass sports become your greatest delight. Technology, you can enjoy technology. I think we have a serious problems when it comes a serious problem when it comes to our gadgets. They take up a lot of our time. When we compare the time we spend with our gadgets and the time we spend in prayer, most Christians are feel guilty. But why do we 
let these gadgets control us? Why do we have such a drive to go back to our gadgets and to keep looking at our cell phones and to see what's on uh, our Facebook page or what email or visit the YouTube pages? Why do we have that drive? And we don't have that drive for prayer. That's a concern, right? The reason why we have that is because we're lacking sobriety in spirit. And when we lack sobriety in spirit, we won't want to pray. Instead of praying, we're going to be looking at our gadgets. We're going to be looking at our TV shows. We're going to be doing our hobbies, whatever else we delight in. And we don't delight in prayer. And then when we do come to pray, when we do come to read God's word, we feel guilty. We feel awful. And we think God is there upset with us. God isn't upset with us. But God is warning us. If you're not sober in spirit, you won't be able to pray. You won't be able to enjoy God. And you won't be able to pray for those around you, for your children, for your spouse, for the uh, country in itself. You won't be able, you won't have a burden for them. You won't care. You'll just be numb because you've been numbed by everything else that, that you delight in instead of delighting in God. That's why Paul writes to Timothy these words, instruct those who are rich in this present world. And we're rich, even those who have very little in our midst, have much more than 90% of the world. So we're rich, right? Some of us have a lot, lot more, but instruct those who are rich in this world. Not to be conceited. So don't be proud for what you have. God gave it to you. Or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So you look at this, at what you have, and you say, okay, I'm going to store this for this. I'm going to do this. For that. I'm going to keep it to myself. It says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. They're uncertain. The money, the money in your bank could lose its value tomorrow. The banks can just say, look, we've lost control of the economy. And then what happens? See, this has happened many times in many countries. It says, riches are uncertain. But rest your hope on God, his promises, his word. And what does God do? He richly supplies us with all things. What? To enjoy God is the one who's giving you the things that you have. The material blessings that are in your hand right now are given to you by God. The rich fool believed that those riches were his and he held on to them very tightly. And if we, be act, if we act and think like the rich fool in the parable, we won't be able to pray. We won't be able to give. We won't be able to serve God. We have been given incredible riches in Christ. Riches that are so beyond our imagination that Paul would, in praying to the, for the Ephesians, would say, my prayer is that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. The eyes of your understanding to see these amazing riches. And the more we see the riches that are ours in Christ, the more we let go of the riches that are ours on this earth. We can't pray if we're not sober in spirit. Enjoying things without holding them tightly. So in conclusion, let me, let me help you ask a few questions for, to yourself. Ask yourself, why don't I desire to pray? Why is it that I look at the world around me and I'm afraid I live in fear? Or why is it that I look at the world around me and I'm impressed? I'm really impressed with technology. I'm impressed with science and the strident steps of medicine. I'm impressed. Why is it? You see, both those views will prevent you from praying. All you need to do is say, 
I repent of my fear, Lord. It's lack of trust. I repent of my fascination with the world. I want to be in awe of you because you are worthy of all, not the world. Um, or perhaps you should say, Lord, why is it that I can't pray? Is it because of the anger in my heart? Am I angry because I feel cheated? Someone got the promotion and I didn't get it. Someone got the job and I didn't get it. I lost this amount of money just because I made a mistake. Now I feel like what an idiot I, I was. I didn't save it as I should have saved it. I have nothing. You see, you need to remember that all these things that have happened to you in the past, all of them, God can work them for the good. If you just trust him. Because it does work for the good for them who love him and are called according to his purpose. So repent of the anger. Repent of the envy. Repent of the greed. Repent of it. You say, I don't, I don't have any anger. If you don't desire to pray, there's something amiss in your life. Don't write it off immediately. Remember, we don't see the plank in our eye. Instead, we easily see the, the, spot, the speck in our brother's eye. Repent of the plank that is in your eye. Say, Lord, reveal it to me. Show me my plank. I've done that many times. I'm doing it more often as of late. So the Lord can reveal whatever wrong mindset or attitude I would have regarding my brother. God supplies us richly all things to enjoy. Am I holding them tightly? I can't pray. Um, do, I, do I look my riches and say, these are mine? Or am I generous? If, I'm, if I hold them tightly, I can't be generous. If your prayer life is poor, it could be that there's definite lack of sobriety in spirit. Um, you're just enjoying your gadgets, whatever else you're going to be enjoying, your sports, your, your business, whatever else you'd like to do. You know, we could be doing a number of things and in delighting in them so much that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to his word, we struggle. May God have mercy on us if that is our situation. So, beloved, how wonderful to know that we have this amazing gift of prayer. How wonderful to know that we could repent and humble ourselves. How wonderful to know that soon we could join as one, praying for our country, praying for our families, praying for the church, and seeing the hand of God at work in our lives. May the Lord give us grace, all of us, so that indeed we would repent that we would seek his face and that we would witness his grace in our lives as we live throughout this season of COVID-19. May he be glorified in the church. Let us pray. Father, your word is so beautiful. We can't thank you enough for this wonderful and precious word you have given us thank you for reminding us that life is brief thank you for reminding us that we need to be of sound judgment and that we need to be sober of spirit for the purpose of prayer otherwise lord our prayer life suffers and if it suffers we suffer and this church suffers we cannot be oh lord the vessels that you want us to be for your glory deliver us from the deception of the enemy Deliver us from his lies. Rather, Lord, flood our minds with your light. Give us that clear thinking that is so necessary so that we would 
desire to pray. So we would be eager to pray, to meet with God's people and enjoy your presence together. We look forward to meeting this afternoon and to having your presence stir our hearts, to humble ourselves, to seek your face and to witness your move in our midst. We praise you and we thank you. I ask for those who don't know you who are listening in, whether it be right now or whether it be those who will follow on the different applications. Lord, draw those who are lost, those who are in darkness to yourself because only you can do this. Let them see Christ as their savior. Let them see themselves as unworthy sinners who deserve punishment, but that have been forgiven in Christ. Lord, let them see the truth of the gospel so that your son's name would be glorified once more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.